Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. As many listeners know, I travel too much. Recently, I had the opportunity to spend 10 days in Paris for my youngest brother's wedding. This was my second trip, and Paris remains probably one of my favorite cities in the world. During that time, we had the opportunity to visit the Museum of Impressionism in Giverny, France, which is about 40 kilometers outside of Paris. And right now they have an amazing exhibit of Monet plus Rothko, which is really, when you think about it, quite the unexpected pairing. Rothko is one of my favorite painters, and every time I stand in front of one of his canvases, I am awed. And that was certainly the case in Giverny. It's a fairly small exhibit, but impeccably curated and presented. In addition to biographical information about each artist, pieces from each are placed in conversation with one another across a series of spaces. If you happen to be across the pond in the next few months, you will not regret a short road trip. In addition to the museum, it's actually an entire complex. You can wander through Monet's gardens and his lily pond. There's the country mansion where he did much of his work. And there's this place where you stand just in front of that front door and look out at these lush gardens that have been beautifully maintained over the years. And it's not hard to understand why Monet's work is so beautiful. From Luminary, this is the Roxanne Gay Agenda, the bad feminist podcast of your dreams. I am Roxanne Gay, your favorite bad feminist. (laughs) (laughs) On the Roxanne Gay Agenda, I talk about something that's on my mind, and then I talk with someone interesting to find out what's on their mind. On this week's agenda, yes, travel. Yesterday, I flew back to the United States, and Charles de Gaulle Airport was a chaotic mess. Apparently, earlier in the week, Delta had canceled two big flights, 
And so all of those passengers, plus yesterday's passengers, congealed into a mass of sweaty and irritable humanity. Getting to the airport two and a half hours early was barely enough time to check our bags, show our COVID paperwork, pass through customs, make it through security, and then trudge literally to the very last gate with the longest jet bridge in the history of jet bridges. As we waited in line after line after line, lines that were supposedly expedited, I was struck by the absolutely wild and inappropriate behavior around us. People in airports tend to behave so very badly. We were all in the same pretty shitty situation, but many people thought that their individual circumstance was the most urgent. There was one man who was particularly insistent about moving ahead in the customs line because his flight departed at 10.10. Now, many of us in the line were on that same flight. Debbie and I were actually on a flight at 10.20, but he, for whatever reason, was certain that his urgency was the most pressing. As you might imagine, things got rowdy until he got near the front of the line where a hero in blue held his ground and did not let any of the people trying to cut the line pass. And to that man and that man only, I say good day. Normally, I just let these kinds of things go. Travel is stressful enough in and of itself, and I don't need to further stress myself out by trying to micromanage or dwell too much on the behaviors of others who may not be at their best. But yesterday nearly pushed me over the edge. There was a white woman who started to do that thing to get ahead in the line where she just acted like she was the saddest and most fragile woman in the world. (laughs) And when she too reached my hero in blue, he refused to let her pass. And so she did what you would expect her to do, which is to start crying, acting like he had mortally wounded her. And then the white woman behind him started comforting the crying woman. And they had this moment of white woman solidarity. And I thought, ah, there's the 53% of white women who voted for Donald Trump. As I thought about the politics of the line, which was really the politics of sharing public spaces with others, I felt a frustration that I often experience when I see people who act entitled and don't seem to feel any kind of regret or remorse or reflection about that entitlement. I was surging with resentment that, again, I often feel when I see people doing things I would never dare to do, not because I don't have negative thoughts or inclinations, but because I know that I would never receive the same leeway that others do. If I tried to cut the line, someone would probably call security. And indeed, that sort of happened. Upon landing at JFK, I have global entry, which means that I don't have to wait in the ridiculous line. I can just go up to a little kiosk and put in my passport, take a picture, and pretty much off you go. So I did my thing at the kiosk, but for the first time ever, it printed out a blank receipt. I showed my blank receipt to the CBP officer, and he told me to go to the front of the line in front of booth nine. So I tried to do that, tired and hot and sweaty, and all of the people in the line behind me started yelling. They were like, you are not going before me. Like, they were viscerally furious. They would not let me go, even though a law enforcement officer had given me the permission. So I gave up and I went to the back of that line. But in a span of eight hours, I saw firsthand how the rules are different for how people get to be in spaces. And it takes a lot of time and energy to figure out which rules apply to you and which don't. Which brings me to today's guest, on the Roxanne Gay agenda, someone who, through her work, is redefining the rules for what it means to be who she is and do the work that she does. 
I first encountered Numa Perrier's work in her 2019 film Jezebel, which she wrote, directed, and starred in. And being so intimately involved in the project makes sense because the story was, after all, based on her experiences working as a cam girl. The movie is told from a really specific point of view, and it offers a frank depiction of what sex work can look like, of how grief is fraught and uneven terrain, and how we can assert control in our lives in unexpected ways. The movie premiered at South by Southwest and was voted the 2019 South by Southwest Critics' Pick. The film also won Best Feature Film and Best Director at the American Black Film Festival. Numa Perrier is a maker. She gets things done. Before she made Jezebel on a shoestring budget, she was the co-writer, producer, showrunner, star, and even set and costume designer for several successful web series that were developed for a streaming platform, Black and Sexy TV, that she co-founded. She's slated to produce and star in The Erotic, a biopic about the incredible poet Audre Lorde. And later this year, a movie starring Gabrielle Union called The Perfect Find is coming out on Netflix. She's also starring in an upcoming thriller called Fuzzy Head from the director Wendy McComb. She's very busy. She's very talented. Numa Perrier, welcome to the Roxanne Gay Agenda. Wow, thank you. <laughs> I love the way you say my name. <laughs> Do I say it right? You say it beautifully. Oh, in the dulcet thank you. tones. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, not many people can say this anymore, but you actually grew up on a farm with nine siblings. Now, what was that like growing up in Washington State on a farm? Ah, oh, uh, the farm days. Yes. Well, it was a very boring, <laughs> you know, from child point of view. Um, I felt very bored there and I was always questioning how my parents were able to, like, what were they doing to kind of entertain themselves day to day because there was really not much to do. But um, I was adopted and so my those were my adopted parents who were on the farm. My adopted father was a farmer from Georgia. So it was just in his blood to always have a farm of some mm -hmm. sort, live off the land. His education stopped at, I think, the fifth grade. So his intelligence was around the animals and the land and making your own food. And so he was a maker in that way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and my mother just kind of went along. And there were so many of us kids that the minute we woke up, we had our farm chores to do. I had to feed our little goat called Billy. <laughs> and <laughs> all of our oh, animals had, you know, the cliche names. Our cow's name was Dolly. We had a pig named Wilbur. The goat's name was Billy, you know. <laughs> we had a dog named Benji. But so it was just really, you know, that farm life, just like animals and digging in the dirt. And it was a really ripe space for me to start writing. That's where I, I first started writing, would be wandering out into the pasture with my little spiral notebook mm -hmm. <laughs> and just, you know, dreaming up things and writing things. And I think it was a, a great place for my imagination to bloom because I was so bored. <laughs> mm -hmm. But yeah, it was a... A beautiful life in a way, but it was also the opposite of that at the same time. So that was the fun. How was it the opposite of that? Was it the remote nature of it? Yes. Well, the town that we lived in was really called a village because the population was 250. 
So Mm-mm. if you can imagine our family, you know, eight Mm-mm. black kids, a black father, a white mother living in a pretty broke down but very large farmhouse amongst other dairy farmers and fishermen and yeah we were just very a very unusual family and we Mm -hmm. weren't we weren't welcome there but we were there that was a big part of it and I think just my parents not really being the most loving you know there was a lot of abuse in the family that we wouldn't have pegged as abuse um Mm -hmm. at the time it was just kind of part of how we lived so it was you know all of these things were kind of whirling and happening in the the three years we were there and then we skipped town and moved to oregon (laughs) but yeah that was washington state bastion of diversity (laughs) (laughs) exactly ready okay give me a beach Beach! Give me great food! Tacos! Give me adventure! Hiking! Give me a date night! Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles! Cheese! Give me more beaches! Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. So you started to write and explore your creativity. When did you first know that you were creative and that you wanted to do something creative with your life? Pretty young. I would say maybe five or six years old. I was writing since I was about seven Mm-hmm. years old out on the farm um <laughs> just writing poetry i was doing that mm-hmm. i was writing romance <laughs> so from a pretty young age i wanted to be a movie star and mm-hmm. i was writing but not knowing that writing was a career it was just something uh that brought me joy and pleasure and release when did it change where you thought maybe this is something i can do because Like you, I wrote constantly. I wrote a lot as a kid, but it never occurred to me I could do anything with it, largely because I had, I have Haitian parents who (laughs) are loving and supportive, but also like, you know, you need to be a lawyer, an engineer or a doctor. And so it just never seemed like a possibility. And it only really did seem like a possibility in my late 30s. And so when for you, did you think, okay, I can actually maybe make a go of it? I think once I realized that it was actually a career, because mm-hmm. I also remember being really young, again, maybe five or six years old and separate from artistic pursuits, so much pressure from parents asking you, what you, what do you want to do with the rest of your life when you're only five or six years old? Mm-hmm. But you remember that. And it's like, they do expect an answer. You know, there's that wave of disappointment if you don't have an answer mm-hmm. that feels, it feels like something they might approve of. So I remember saying to my mom um, when I was maybe six years old that I wanted to be a juror. <laughs> and Girl. I thought that was a job. So, and I, you know, <laughs> seen something on TV, you know, and I understood just that little piece of the legal system that there could be a quorum of people that debate and consider and bring justice to a, to a situation. Mm-hmm. And she said, that's not a job. <laughs> And so, you know, when she said that wasn't a job, I was like, oh. <laughs> and then uh, quickly I from mean, there. I mean, so she says. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's like, a, it's a duty, right? You know, that mm-hmm. you don't get paid for. So I quickly pivoted from that into, I could see that you could have a career as an actor because I could see examples of that on my TV. But mm-hmm. being a writer, I guess I knew you could write a book by you know, and that that could be a livelihood when I was a teenager. So I had dreams of writing books. But in terms of writing movies, writing TV, not until maybe I was in my 20s did I know that there was, oh, there's a path for that. There's a way. And Mm -hmm. oh, I could be a director too. This is how movies get made. It was all a slowly unraveling process because I had no examples of that whatsoever. I didn't know how a movie got made. I just Mm -hmm. would just see it on the TV. When did you start to learn how a movie gets made and that directing is a thing you can do? And what drew you to making films and television? I think it was in my acting classes when I moved out to 
to here to LA to Los Angeles. Mm. Um, I was in an acting class where there were also directors, and it was a very kind of well-rounded study where um, we read plays every week, and so there was kind of a uh, play critique class alongside the writing. There were directors in the class who would direct scenes and put them on stage, and I would just notice that when they did their work, our teacher would give them a critique or an assessment that was really different than an assessment I would get as an actor, just putting my Mm -hmm. own monologue up there. And so I became really fascinated about that process and how the director got to make all these choices about the wardrobe, where people stood, you know, when the lights came on. I loved that. I loved being able to just get inside of all the things I was interested in because I've always loved lighting and I've always loved costume and I've always loved set design. And it just pulled in everything that gets me excited. And mm-hmm. I realized, oh, you know, and of course it was like only guys were directing in <laughs> that acting class. And there mm-hmm. was like one woman, you know, in the whole school that was directing stuff. And, you know, everyone was like, ooh, you know, she's she's directing too, you know. And <laughs> so it was early examples of women like her and then other women that I saw, you know, move forward and make films where I said, oh, there's a path, there's a way, mm-hmm. I want to do this too. And so, yeah, it was, a, it was that type of progression. Once you figured out you could do this, you actually ended up doing all kinds of interesting things from web series to making a feature film. So I would love to talk a little bit about Jezebel, which takes place in Vegas yes. and is based on your own life. How do you end up in Vegas? So my family moved from the farm to Oregon, to small town California. Um, Then my father was very ill with heart failure. So we moved back to his home, Georgia, where he passed Mm. away. Mm. Then we moved to South Carolina where he had some family to kind of get us through that. And then (laughs) my mother's health took a dive That's how we ended up in Las Vegas, because there were doctors in Las Vegas. She had a good friend that had moved to Las Vegas, and they had decided to (laughs) move in together. Maybe they were lovers, just not realizing. (laughs) They decided to move in together because she had just gone through a divorce. My mother had just lost her husband, and they were in Las Vegas where there was better options for her health etc, etc. So the whole family moved to Las Vegas. And that was the biggest city I've ever lived in, even though Las Vegas was kind of a a big city, but a small town at the same time. Mm -hmm. And then this is before Las Vegas kind of rebranded. At the time, they hadn't rebranded into a family vacation stop. They were still very much about what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas and city type of thing, you know? And so all the billboards that I saw were always like scantily clad women, mm-hmm. and, you know, gentlemen's clubs and when like tits out everywhere, you know, and gambling and, you know, everything just in your face, but you weren't allowed to do it, but you were seeing these images coming at you all the time. You know, that was kind of defining for me <laughs> as a, you know, 15 year old, Yeah, but we stayed there until my mother passed away. And that's when the story of Jezebel really evolved. Defining in what way? Well, I think at that time I was 
facing the idea that I wouldn't have a mom mm. forever, you know, and that um, what that her illness was terminal, but not like rapidly impending death, but just that you know, prepare yourself because, you know, your mother may not make it to see you graduate high school. Or so I was really, you know, contending with those things and thinking about just what I wanted to do with myself as a young woman, like, and how would I get myself to Los Angeles, which was my goal, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? (laughs) And so every decision that I made and everything that I was influenced by was about how will I be on my own? How will I achieve my now that I had these big ambitions how would I achieve them really without a support system you know like how would I move through the world without parents you know just like Mm -hmm. (laughs) go going for it yeah I felt like Las Vegas was defining in that way because everything around you was telling you as soon as you turn 18, not a day before, but the minute you turn 18, you can be a cocktail waitress, you can be a showgirl, you can mm-hmm. go dance at this club. You know, the lure of like quicker money and independence was always right there, kind of hovering for you to step into that world. Was it easy or difficult or somewhere in between to step into that world yourself and then to depict it on screen? I think it was pretty easy because I was fascinated by it. And my sister was, you know, this is depicted in the movie as well. My sister had been doing phone sex for a couple of years. And when I was living with her, I could hear her doing <laughs> I could hear her on her calls, you know, with no door in between us at all. So mm-hmm. um, there was kind of a normalization, not just in the city of Las Vegas, but within our own household uh, once my mother had passed away. And me and my sister were just figuring stuff out. So she kind of helped, I guess, give me permission in a way that it would be okay if I wanted to try it out. I could make a lot of money as a cam girl because cam girl was a very new thing. And I was fascinated by the novelty of it, by the idea that I could make money, stack that Mm -hmm. money and move to L.A. And the whole thing fascinated me. And it wasn't hard to step into because it all felt so anonymous and playful and you know, interesting. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, and it was really like a, you know, it was really a real job where you go in, you clocked in, mm-hmm. you did your hours, you clocked out, you got a check on Friday, you deposited that check and, you know, life got better. So <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, there was many years ago, I did phone it. sex. Yeah, I yeah. did phone sex many years ago. And I wrote about it in hunger a little bit. And I think the most surprising thing for people is learning that it's an actual job. Like, yeah. and back in the day, like, we went into an office and we worked in these little booths and we did like crossword puzzles to kill time. We had mm-hmm. lunch breaks. You know, it's, it's, you know, a job is a job is a job, no matter like what you're doing in That's that job. Right. That's right. And <laughs> so, you know, one of the things I appreciated about the movie was that it didn't offer really a lot of editorial commentary on the nature of sex work. It just was work. Mm -hmm. Another thing I really appreciated was just like the emotional intimacy of the film about dealing with grief and siblings. And you have these two women who are really supporting a household, even though they have so much other things going on. And there's this claustrophobicness because you shot the movie in an actual apartment. Were you happy with how the movie turned out? 
I'm so happy with it. I wouldn't change anything. Oh, um, I love hearing that. <laughs> I love it. It's a truly independent film. No one told mm-hmm. me what to do. I called all the shots, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was no, like, let's send it in and see what they think, you know, and test it out on people. I mean, though I did have, you know, little um, kind of tastemaker screenings as I was editing. But, you know, every decision came down to me what moved me and I trusted that that would be a worthy contribution and I think Mm -hmm. it is but yeah I loved the way it turned out it's everything that I intended it to be Um, and then some you know with what all the things that our wonderful actors brought to it let it go even (laughs) you know even further so Mm -hmm. do you like being the decision maker in all ways yes and having that creative control Yes. Yes, I need that, you know, and I have this director friend who has worked more than me. And I went to her when I had like my first interview for a TV job. And she told me, you know, just make sure that you say that um, you love to collaborate in the interview. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that, you know, you make it clear that you can you know, work well with others, <laughs> mm-hmm. which I feel like I do. And I, I remembered that was a great piece of advice to make sure that you state and communicate that in some way. Um, but that doesn't take away at all from the fact that I love being the decision maker. I loved running my own streamer. I love that. That feels great to me. So more of that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> How do you develop the confidence to be that decision maker to write something, direct it, produce, act, make the cost or design the costumes. And how how do you trust in yourself? Because I am a control freak. I love being the decision maker in all ways and all things. But sometimes I'm always I'm nervous, like, am I making the right decisions? Am I doing the right things for this project, etc. So how do you develop that confidence and then maintain it? Or do you do it despite not having confidence? Yeah, those doubts and, you know, falling in and out of love, that's what I kind of call it, Of with Mm -hmm. something like with Jezebel during the edit, that is such a test of your endurance and choices because it's really Mm -hmm. where the control of your craft comes in even more. Uh, You have to, you know, take all of this (laughs) footage and hopefully you feel good about that footage. But even if you feel great about it, how are you going to put it all together? And I went through a year of depression trying to continue to raise the money to fulfill post-production, but also the ups and downs of doubting my film, doubting Mm -hmm. the story, doubting how it was going to turn out, doubting if I even really had something here or not. And it's these kind of violent, creative mood swings (laughs) that happen. (laughs) And once it happened, once I felt the pattern of that, it, mm-hmm. it, it's like kind of remind me of my menstrual cycle. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is that thing coming up. And right now I'm not in love with the thing and I'm going to be in bed for some days and I'm not going to want to see people. I'm embarrassed. But on the other side of that, which I, you know, feel is coming around the bend, I'm going to be really excited about my movie again. And I'm going to discover this nugget or this scene or, you know, my editor is going to come back to me with something and it it just refreshes you and rejuvenates the whole thing. Now I have an understanding that that's 
can be part of the process or part of my process. So I expect it in a way that there may, may be that happening. Um, and that's how I get through it, by just being aware that it's waves, it's waves of doubt, it's waves of, you know, just feeling down about other things that affect how you're viewing your own work. I've looked at, you know, your body of work thus far, and you do all kinds of different things. <laughs> and I, I try to do that, too. I love just, you never know what I'm going to do next. Mm -hmm. And so, that part, Roxanne, you never right? know like, what we're going to do next. You never know. Do you think that's the Haitian part, though? You know what? You ask an important question. I do. I actually do in part think it, it is the Haitian part because Haitians, as you know, we can be very contrary, very sort of, you're not going to conquer me. You're not going to conquer me and you're not going to see me coming either. Mm -hmm. Right. And you're going to underestimate <laughs> me and that's fine, but I'm going to teach you not to do that again. You're going to learn today is what you're trying today, to say. Today, tomorrow, <laughs> and yesterday. This is a teachable moment. <laughs> it is. I mean, and unfortunately, so many people have a lot to learn about, you Indeed. know, not underestimating Haitian women. That's like, right. It's you that's going to get hurt. And so imagine my surprise when I saw that you recently collaborated with the visual artist Derek Forjour <laughs> on his show, Magic, Mystery, and Legere de Main. How did you come to that project? So... Uh, Derek is a lovely, lovely, lovely human being. I adore his work. I adore his approach to the work. Mm -hmm. I think I saw his work first in like 2013 or 14. Um, he was part of a group show. And his one painting that he had there, I just felt so pulled into it kind of in a magical way. And I was like, who is mm -hmm. this artist? And what is this about? It was kind of this very textured painting on newspaper of a cheerleader. So it just, it just spoke to me. And mm -hmm. um, we connected. We became very good friends over the years. Being able to really talk about kind of what I was talking about, those waves of the creative process, you know, <laughs> the kind of emotional despair of not knowing if you have anything, but then being so confused because you could have swore that you had something so brilliant mm -hmm. the three days before and just really, you know, questioning <laughs> your, your mental space. He was someone that I could call and talk through those things. And I was someone he could call and talk through those things. So you know, his body of work expanded, my body of work expanded. And he called me and told me about this show. It's going to be about magic. Uh, oh, also, he loves doing immersive experiences. And mm -hmm. I love doing immersive experiences. So any film that I make, I would love to have an art installation accompanying that film. I don't care if it's the most Hollywood mainstream thing. I love having more than one entry point. So mm -hmm. all of these things we agree on. He calls me. He's doing a show on magic. And he's looking for a writer and director to do this magic show, which is like dream come true for me. But he didn't ask me to do it. He was kind of tiptoeing around it and saying, mm -hmm. you know, do you maybe, you know, know someone in L.A. that could mm -hmm. do, you know, any magicians <laughs> or do you, you know, know anybody you know, and then he kind of threw black woman in there. Like, do you know a black woman who could? Do so I just stopped him. I do said, Derek. you? Like, hmm. <laughs> I was like, Derek, I don't really know how to say this, but are you 
And I really wasn't sure. I said, are you asking me to do it? Or are you really asking me to help you find someone to do it? Because you don't think I'm the right person for it, but you think I could find the right person for you. Which one is it? You know, I was just like, cut the crap. What is it? He's (laughs) like, oh, you know, I didn't want to ask you because I don't want you to be awkward if you didn't want to do it. But I figured if you wanted to do it, you would speak up the way you are. So I said, I'm speaking up. I would love to do it. And he sent me a book and we started researching. And uh, yeah, that's where the the process for that began, the the writing and putting that show together. Are you an art collector? I am a budding, Mm. hopeful, aspiring. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Derek owes me art. (laughs) I bet he does. I bet um, he does. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He does. Yeah, I'm a budding, aspiring. I want to be. I want to be. I want to be that art collector that, like, when I walk into the spot, they're like, oh, shit. (laughs) Here she come. We know she's about Mm -hmm. to rack up. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and I asked that because, I mean, listeners have no way of knowing this, but I ran into you recently at the Genevieve Gagnard opening in Mm -hmm. Los Angeles at Ville Matter Galleries. And uh, she has a show opened that's closing on May 7th called Strange Fruit. And I think it's, yeah, it's called Strange Fruit. And it was a great show. I'm a huge fan of her work. Mm -hmm. She's so incredibly talented. And she works across media. And and when I saw you there, I was like, oh, yes, another Haitian woman who's into art. Yes. Yes, I was thrilled to see you there. Very into art. I work in that space. I used to throw art shows. I called them one night stands. Um, Mm. (laughs) And I would just gather all of the women who I knew like had art in the back of their closets. Mm -hmm. That was really good, but they weren't doing Mm -hmm. anything with it. And we do these shows. And yeah, I love the art world. You know, I consider myself just toggling between the movie world and the art world. Speaking of one night stands, I know that you co-founded a streaming service called Black and Sexy TV. I sure did. You know, you are you are doing all <laughs> kinds of things. I love it. I'm just like, what else did you do? So I would love for you to talk a little about what is it like to run a streaming service? Well, it was absolutely thrilling, very hard work, uh, like pushing a boulder up um, (laughs) slippery Mulholland Canyon, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, every time you're pushing up, you're slipping down at the same time. But it's like you're headed to this really beautiful view. And because I like to be in charge, because I like to move quickly, running a streamer, which was really the early for really one of the first, you know, one of the Mm -hmm. first um, independent streamers, definitely one of the first, if only indie streamers for black people, you know, with a very bold black title, black and sexy TV. And I loved it because I was always in production. I was either in a writing room, directing something, acting in something, in post-production on something, hearing pitches from other people. And for about eight years, I didn't encounter any white person having to approve anything I made or wanted to make. If there was a quorum, it was a quorum of Black people who were on the same creative page as me, mostly. You know, we had our differences. You know, we're Mm -hmm. no longer a collective. (laughs) But, you know, for the time that we were all running that thing together, 
that was some powerful shit because I then had to kind of reorient myself to (laughs) having, you know, to listen to and get approval of people, you know, outside of my culture. And that was a little bit of an adjustment to make. But I, I loved it. I would do it again in a heartbeat, maybe, you know, with some changes. But, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, you won't see me coming, but I'll be back. <laughs> all right. All right. I like it. I like it. You know, what would you do differently next time? I would put more Black women front and center. We had that. Mm-hmm. I would do more of that. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. Roller coaster. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Now, I know you've also been working on a project called Blood Mother, which is a feature film set in Haiti. And is that still happening? It is. It is. I owe 
it's with a production company uh, mm-hmm. who I owe something to right now. So, uh, you know, in terms of like updated outline. Um, and I'm like, sorry, I got caught up, you know, you know, trying to put my kid through school. Um, but it's Listen. coming. I'm like, it's coming. It's coming. Mm-hmm. But Blood Mother is that Haitian story because I was adopted mm-hmm. um, when I was very little. But then I went back to Haiti to meet my blood mother. Mm-hmm. And while I was there, I had a culture shock, <laughs> a big <laughs> culture shock, <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, a lot of shame around having that culture shock, a lot of anger, a lot of confusion. And then in my experience with this woman, my blood mother, I started feeling very unsafe and started having kind of these notions of am I being set up to be kidnapped? Is someone going to snatch me? And I couldn't really differentiate whether those things were based in reality or those Mm -hmm. things were not because, you know, my blood mother is a bit of a dubious character (laughs) and would and had used me for financial gain before. Mm -hmm. Um, So the film, what I did is I kind of amplified that feeling of fear and distrust and culture shock into mm-hmm. a story about what it is to not be able to trust your mother. And so it's a thriller. <laughs> yeah, I'll yeah. say. You know, it's interesting. You've you've picked up on something that I think is very complicated about Haiti. Yeah. You never know what's going to happen. You never know what people are really about. And it's not because the people are inherently evil or anything like that. It's that the circumstances of the country are such that people have to resort to all kinds of things to survive. Yeah. And yeah, you don't really know what you, you what don't you can know trust. where you stand even, sometimes. Even, even the trust of like, are the lights going to stay on through this dinner mm-hmm. that we're having? Like, that's a running joke, you know? Like, well, the answer to that is no. Is no. You get you your generator, get it going. And so I, you know, really took all those things and amplified how far that could go in someone's mind who wants to belong so bad because mm-hmm. all I wanted to do was belong. But I felt so isolated because I didn't speak enough of the language, hardly mm-hmm. any of the language. And then you don't know if people are making fun of you. Of course they are. They you are. Know, but to what degree? And is there something more sinister under that sometimes? Mm-hmm. Or is it just all, you know, we are also a very secretive culture. And I yes. think that that runs through my blood, no matter who I was raised by, like that is also in me. So, so yeah, so the movie that I owe <laughs> another draft to is dealing um, with the intricacies of that. So what's next for you? And like, what's on your professional agenda? I am finishing up this romantic comedy for Netflix, which I really can't wait for people to see because I found my way into that genre in a way that's like really delightful to me. Um, It's still very sexy. It's a very sexy romantic comedy. So that is... Very, very close mm-hmm. to the finish line. So I think summer or fall, uh, that will oh, come good. out. And then I guess circling back to like Blood Mother and Audre Lord and, <laughs> um, you know, the things that I'm doing out of House of Numa, out of my production arm. 
I'm excited to see everything that comes out of House of Numa. Thank you. Numa Perrier, thank you so much for joining me on the Roxanne Gay Agenda. You are a delight and I'm a real fan. You can keep up with me and this podcast on social media on Twitter at RGAY and Instagram at RoxanneGay74. Our email is RoxanneGayAgenda at gmail.com and we would love to hear from you. From Luminary, the Roxanne Gay Agenda is produced by Curtis Fox. Our researcher is Yesenia Moreno. Production support is provided by Caitlin Adams and Meg Pillow. I'm Roxanne Gay, your favorite bad feminist. Thank you ever so much for listening. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.